0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Good day, everybody. As always, it's good to have your ears today. Let me just state from the beginning, this show is absolutely meaningless if it doesn't broaden your faith and equip you with quality information and ideas that will help you fish for men. It's also meaningless if it doesn't answer some of your questions Um, that keeps you from believing in God now last week I asked you guys to let me know if you have any particular topics or questions that you'd like to have addressed on the show and I got this blessing from my friend and and dear brother in Christ from Krugersdorp who said he's got some questions he would like uh, me to address on the show and that's what we're going to do today and then also next week we're going to deal with the other Uh, topic that he gave to us so this topic today will be really about two questions firstly when will the world end and secondly how many people are going to survive the end of the world Uh, let me just before i continue with that let me just advertise what we're going to talk about next week i don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the flat earth movement Uh, i'm going to have an opportunity next week to have a discussion with my friend about that and, and ask the question where does this idea come from why is it important to talk about it and most importantly what does this have to do with God and with the Bible why is this something that might be quite cool to talk about so stay tuned for that next week and uh, I'm sure that it's gonna be it's gonna be lots of fun. Now, I cannot answer these questions, these questions that we're dealing with today. When will the world end and and how many will actually survive the end of the world? I cannot answer those questions from a secular perspective. Um, And neither can I answer it from any other religious perspective. I can only answer it from what the scriptures say. Uh, tell us what would have been written by the ancient apostles, these people who walked with Jesus. I can only go to those writings and go find out, well, what did Jesus himself say about that? Um, there's no other body of knowledge that speaks more about the end of the world than the Bible. Now, Christians generally believe that the world ends when Jesus comes back. That's when the world ends. That's that. That's when everything is over. Jesus comes back on the cloud and Boom. Um, He destroys everything else and we are taken up with him, etc, etc. And there's a whole host of things that takes place when the angels come and they blow the trumpet. um, And that's maybe a discussion for another day. And Christians also believe that not everybody will go with him to heaven. Christians believe it's not going to be every human being is not suddenly going to uh, go with Jesus on the clouds to, to heaven. And this discussion, this discussion of the end of times, this discussion about this the, the rapture we call it eschatology it's the study of the end times um, now let me let me ask answer just the question quickly why allow these two questions on the show because this question you know, you know this show is really about fishing for men well let, let me say this we fish for men because we believe that jesus is coming back again that's the very reason why we fish for men um, it's a fact that jesus lived it's a fact that his grave is still empty today and that he spoke the words that have been recorded by um, four people who walked with him, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And if these facts are true, then it's a fact that he's coming back. And if he's coming back, um, the question then is, is he coming back for me? And that puts us into the second question. Who is he going to come and fetch? How many people on the planet are actually going to go with him? Um both these questions, therefore, are relevant to Christians in some way or another. So Jesus coming back is the foundation of the Christian faith. Everybody on earth agrees that we are going to die. It doesn't matter what you believe in. Everybody on earth believes that we're going to die. It's, a, it's just a fact of life. Whether you're a Christian or not, uh, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Muslim, uh, you believe that we're going to die. But only Christians Or Christianity answers the problem that death poses. And only Christianity solves that problem. Now we know in our hearts that life shouldn't be temporary. We feel that when our mother dies. You feel that when your friend dies. We feel it when we sit at funerals. That this isn't right. It's not right that death exists. It doesn't sit well with us. Well 3,000 years ago Koheleth actually said it. He said it. He said that God has set eternity in our hearts. There's something in us that we know that that reminds us that we're actually eternal beings. And that's why people are willing to die for Christ. Because they know that this life is not the end and that death is the beginning of real life. Well, you might then say, well, but the Muslims are also willing to give up their lives. Uh, Well, let me tell you that there are two major differences between the two. A Christian gives up his life. For Christ, If somebody says look if you don't deny Jesus I'm going to kill you then you'd say okay I'll, I will not deny Jesus I'll give up my life then you've got to kill me. Now there's a major difference between that and Muslims who die for their faith. Now let me give you two reasons why it's different. First of all Muslim extremists commit suicide. They commit suicide. They take their own lives. Nobody takes their life. They take their own lives. So they commit murder on themselves we could say. And in the process, they hope to murder other people as well. They are not being killed. They are not martyrs. Uh, They are murderers. And the second thing is this. Why do they do it? And I, I really don't want to be rude on the show or anything, but they do it because apparently they're going to get 70 virgins when they get to heaven. So in their heaven, they get rewarded with 70 virgins if they are willing to kill themselves on the earth and other people together. In the whole process, they get 70 virgins waiting for them. Now, I don't want to be funny. But what do the women get when they do blow up themselves? The idea is so worldly. It is so fleshly. And in a way, it's so vulgar because those 70 virgins will not stay 70 virgins. There's a there's not a sense of eternity in there. But anyways, that's a discussion for another day. I just think it's a very womanizing type of idea. If you are not a Christian then this podcast will probably not be the most exciting episode for you, but I would always say it's worth hanging around and listening in any way. I think we all believe it will end sometime, and so it's always interesting to talk about the the when the world is going to end. The how uh, many people are going to heaven question might not be such an exciting discussion for unbelievers or or people that actually don't believe that Jesus existed, but it But it shouldn't be something that makes you fear Jesus. The topping should make you be inspired to meet Jesus. The truth is is that you, you, you won't let every person on earth come live in your home, right? Never mind speaking about eternity. Especially if they don't like you. I mean, would you let anybody come and live in your house for a week, for two weeks, for three weeks, for a year? Would you let anybody on the planet come and live in your house? Most probably not. I, I think there would be certain requirements of the people that you would allow in your house. I, I remember one time I I met a man who um, just came out of prison. Apparently that was the story. And he was really down and out. And I felt so sorry for him. And I, I brought him home. And he apparently then we found out that he'd killed seven people. And he took a shower in our house. And he was alone with my wife there. And it was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Because things could have gone horribly pear-shaped. And at another time I met a guy who was living on the streets. He was sleeping in a bush and in the bush, a spider bit him and he needed medication and he needed help. And so got him the medication. I let him stay in my house. I went to, I think we went to go buy a McDonald's. We got back. He'd stolen uh, my shoes. He'd stolen my bags. He'd stolen stuff and he just disappeared. So so it's not always a good idea just to have random people living in your house. Why do we treat God any in any way different god has designed the world god has designed the place where he lives or however that works and he's he as the creator has got the full right to decide and to lay down the terms of who is allowed into his presence for all of eternity our creator is amazing though he doesn't force us he doesn't say you will live forever with me No, he makes us, he gives us life, he enables us to enjoy it all, whether we like him or not, whether we believe in him or not, whether we honor what his son did on the cross or not, he lets the sunshine come down on us he allows us to eat food he gives us bodies that can experience amazing sensations he gives us that whether we believe in him or not and then he offers us eternal life with him he says you know what i've let you experience these amazing things on earth that's just the foretaste of the stuff that i've got that i've got planned in, in heaven for you and i've placed eternity in your heart so that you you would know what it's about and you can see that this life here is not the real deal this is this is just the, the tip of the iceberg of the real life that is waiting for us and then he, he created this amazing place where he lives and you know what if we reject him then he respects our wishes now to both these questions for today the scriptures probably don't have the answer that you would really like to hear. Um I think there's lots of people out there um that wants to know. Okay, the 22nd of October 2023, that's the day that the world ends and Jesus comes back to fetch the people. Um I think that we would also like to know um there's exactly 22 million people going to heaven and there's a list that you can go look at in the bible and go see if your name is written there i think we would like to see that type of information well i've got bad news for you um the bible does not record things in that order so anyways let's get into this let me ask the first question when is jesus coming back or when is the end of the world let me um Produce an answer from the scriptures itself. Now, uh, the human race loves this question, don't they? Movies are made about it, right? There is a website. It's called raptureready.com. You can go look at it. It lists a scoreboard of 45 factors that tells us how near the rapture is. And apparently, I think we are at the moment on a scale of 189, which means that it's almost the end. It's close, guys. According to rapture.raptureready.com, So go check it out. Thousands of people have predicted the return date of Jesus or the end of the world. Thousands of people over the last 2,000 years. I mean, if you go and you uh, go type in on Google predictions of the end of the world, you're most certainly going to get to Wikipedia where there's a list of the predictions that have been made over the last 2000 years now let me tell you just about some of them cotton mother for example predicted the world would end in 1697 he believed that witchcraft in america and the appearance of Halley's comet in 1682 was evidence that jesus was coming back guess what ladies and gentlemen jesus stayed in heaven and then, he, because Jesus didn't come, he predicted 1736, and then he predicted 1716, and then 1727, and Jesus never came. Except something happened in 1728. Martha died. And so, in one sense, remember his last prediction was 1727, and he died the next year. It's, he was almost correct. Because, you see, when you die... It's your end. It's the end of your world. And Jesus has come to fetch you. So in a way, he was—he had a very close prediction there. But he made a few mistakes before that. Um, and he wasn't precise. Harold Camping predicted the second coming of Christ to be September 6, 1994. And then it moved on when, when Jesus didn't come in 1994. Uh, he made the prediction as 21 May 2011. And then it was 21 October of the same year. And when that didn't materialize, he gave up. William Miller, for example, he predicted that Jesus would come back in 1943. And then then he predicted 21 March 1844. Sorry, did I say 1943? No, it was 1843. Okay, Uh, so then he predicted 21 March 1844. And finally, he predicted that Jesus would come back on the 22nd of October 1844. And guess what? Jesus never came. And that day became known as the Great Disappointment. You can go and research that a little bit. And from this movement started the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Now, I'm just going to be honest about this. Any church movement that started with leaders who claimed to have known when the end of the world is going to be and it failed, that is a movement that I'm not going to be a part of. All right? Uh, Charles Taze Russell predicted that the world would end in 1914. We are still here. He started the Jehovah's Witness faith. Do you know how many times the Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted the end of the world? It's never happened. That's why I'll never be a Jehovah's Witness. Martin Luther predicted that Jesus would come back before the end of the 1600s. Uh, 400 years later, it still hasn't happened. Christopher Columbus predicted 1656. John Wesley predicted 1836. And apparently 2020 is the year of the return of Jesus in the eyes of many people. Just like the year 2000 was. If you you lived before that, you would know exactly what that is about. Others say it will end in 2026 and still someone else says in 2028. If you didn't know it, let me inform you. We are still here. The earth is still spinning and Jesus is still in heaven. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, it's so embarrassing to the Christian faith when people make these predictions. And then it doesn't happen. Why are people so obsessed with it? I think people love mystery and they love unlocking secrets with all of these symbols found in some of the books of the Bible. And most of these people, especially the Christians who make predictions, they study the books of Daniel, Revelation and Ezekiel. Those of you who don't know what that is about, let me just point out one book, the book of Revelation. It's the end of the Bible. All three of these books contain what we call apocalyptic language. And that means it's all symbolic. There's lots of meaning in there, but it's behind symbols. For example, in the book of Revelation, the text talks about stars. Stars don't refer to the stars in heavens. It refers to angels. There's lots of numbers in the book of Revelation. Like, for example, you've heard it before, triple six, for example, refers to the devil. The number seven refers to God's perfect number. Three is the number of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Four refers to the human race, the four directions, east, north, south, west. And so three plus four, God plus man is seven. And that's like sort of the perfect number. Just examples. I mean, so there's all these symbols in Revelation. And people take those symbols and from there, they make uh, predictions about when Jesus is apparently going to come back. Now, people love solving puzzles, And so, especially these type of puzzles, that's about the end of the world. Um, Now, let me just say this. These types of books you never study as a new Christian because the information in them hangs on the rest of the Bible. Okay? When you have figured out the whole of the rest of the Bible, then you go and read Revelation and figure it out. And you know what's interesting? All the scholars I know who have studied Revelation for years and who know how to interpret it properly in context never make predictions about the second coming of Christ. Why not? Why don't they? Because it's impossible. Now, if you don't understand the rest of the Bible, stay away from the apocalyptic books. You will just embarrass yourself. You, you, you can end up with the idea saying that the beast out of the sea is my mother-in-law. There's lots of symbolism in, 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 in Revelation. You can make of it what you really want if you're not going to interpret it properly. Or the dragon. The dragon with the ten horns. Those are the ten kings of ten countries in the middle of Africa. Or the rider. The rider on the black horse. That is King Jong-un. The leader of... Um, North Korea. You see where this is going? All the symbolism. You can basically go into Revelation, go make up your own story. And so people go into Revelation, they take the numbers, they dissect it, and then they sort of figure it out with Halley's comet, and then they talk about the last earthquake, and they take all of these things together, and they they puzzle this thing together, and they say, ah, oh, boom, Jesus is coming in three years' time. Now I will not be unlocking Revelation for you in this podcast, and you will know why in just a moment. If we want to know when Jesus is coming back, let me ask the question. Who is the most important person to go talk to about it? I think Jesus. You know, at least two groups of people during the days of Jesus asked him this question. His own disciples asked him this question 2,000 years ago. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Matthew 24 and verse 3. Well, let me read from verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. They're at the temple in Jerusalem. And his disciples are pointing out. Look at this amazing building. And Jesus says, look, all of these stones that you see here, they're going to be lying on top of each other. They're going to spread out over the ground. This place is going to be destroyed. That is what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of you coming in at the end of, end of the end of the age? And many people misunderstand what Jesus answers in the next verses in the whole chapter. And you know what Jesus is doing here? He's intertwining the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem with his second coming. They just spoke about the stones, right? The beautiful buildings. Jesus said, these stones are going to be destroyed. You know when that happened? That happened in AD 70. In AD 70, the Jewish nation, practically, its religious center of worship was destroyed. You can go look at the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And so he was saying to his disciples, look, this place is going to be destroyed. That was 40 years before it actually happened. So you've got to be careful when you read this text. not everything in chapter 24 of Matthew is referring to the second coming of Christ, but there are some things that refers to the second coming of Christ, especially from verse 36 to 51. In verse 36 Jesus says, "No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. No one knows. Not even Jesus. Verse 44 says, um, So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. It is settled. There you've got the answer. We don't know. Nobody will ever know. Not even Jesus Himself knows. It's in the hands of the Father. He will decide when. Maybe he hasn't even decided on a date yet. Jesus is the one that delivers the book of Revelation through an angel to John. So even before the vision of Revelation, Jesus said, no one knows, not even I. So if you go search through Revelation and think that you're going to pin a date down as to when Jesus is coming, you're making a big mistake. And you're actually just a fool. An actual fact, if somebody ever comes to you and says, Jesus is coming back on this date. And if you see it in the newspapers, you can just say, OK, I know for sure it's not going to be on that day because nobody would know when it is. OK, second Peter 3 verse 10, first Thessalonians 5 verse 2 and Jesus in Matthew 25 says it will come like a thief in the night. How do thieves come? Do they do they tell you? Look, uh, I'm at the I'm at the door. I'm about to break in. No, they just come when you don't expect it. Matthew 24, 27 says it will happen like lightning. You don't know exactly when it's going to hit. Some people refer to Matthew 24, verse 14, that says that the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world and then Jesus will come. Well, how do we measure that? How will we ever know when the gospel has really gone throughout the whole world? How will we ever know that every person on the planet have heard the gospel fully? We won't. How can we scientifically prove that? Are we going to question every person on on the face of the earth and then make sure that when the last person hears, we are ready for Jesus to come back? Some people would say the gospel has already gone throughout the world. We can read Revelation 22, uh, verse 12 to 13, chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says he's coming soon. That's all we know. 1 John 2, verse 18 says it's the last hour. Consider the pagans in Peter's days. They, they had the same problem. Now, I think I read this piece of scripture to us at some point or another. Um, it says here, first of all, you must understand. This is 2 Peter 3 verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Scoffers are people who mock Christians for believing in God. They will say, where is this coming He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The question, when is Jesus coming back? Is not a good question. It doesn't really matter. We will never find out. What if we knew for a fact that he would come in December of this year? You know what? The world would be filled with fake people. Everybody standing ready in their little church suits, waiting for God to come back. Everybody would try to get themselves ready. Jesus wants us to always be ready. The big question is, not when is he coming back. The big question is, why is he coming back? Ladies and gentlemen, he's coming to end the corruption of this planet. He's coming to bring justice for everybody who has been hurt and broken and damaged by the sin of people. He's coming to collect his people and to take them to a better place. Not a temporary one like this earth that's going to be destroyed, but an eternal one. And that begs a further question. Who should I be? If Jesus is coming back and this all will end, who should I be? I'm just going to read you what Peter says. He says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. It's not something that we're scared of. It's something that we say, please come. There's so many people in this world in pain, so many people suffering and struggling. So many people are being hurt. Please, Lord, come, end this. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. The goal is to be at peace with the God who created us. So let's just answer the question when is Jesus coming back when the father in heaven decided it's time to go. The second question is this who is Jesus coming to fetch how many people will be going to heaven. Conservative Christians say very few people. Liberal Christians say well most people if, if, you, if you do good deeds and you're a good person you're going to heaven you're going to God. A famous theologian claimed that everybody will go to heaven. Jesus died for everyone which is the truth. Jesus did die for everyone but not everybody wants him to die for them and then the Jehovah's witnesses say only 144,000 people will make it. And that is why they relentlessly knock on your doors. They are earning their way into being one of the 144,000 people going to heaven. And once again, they take the cue from the book of Revelation. It is true that the book of Revelation says in chapter 14 that 144,000 people will be saved. But that is not a literal number like All the other symbolic language in the book, if you say that's a literal number, then every other number needs to be literal literal, and every other symbol needs to be literal. There was really a beast coming out of the sea. There was really a great red dragon. Um, So then it has to be a literal number. But it's not the case. 144,000 simply refers to the idea 12 times 12 is 144. Now, if you go through the Old Testament, that's why I'm saying. You've got to know the rest of the Bible. The number 12 is significant. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jesus chose 12 disciples. 12 times 12 is basically a complete number. It's, it's, it's the perfect number. And what the revelator is actually telling us is that there's going to be a perfect number of people saved by Christ. Not a specific number, but a perfect number number of people. So, um, it's a special number. It refers to the complete number of people who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Anyway, anyways, who cares what people say? We can only go look at the Bible, right? What I'm going to say next, I say with great respect. Nobody can say who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. That's way above any of our paychecks. I'm simply going to present what I see in the Bible And I'm going to go through like sort of a sifting process. So don't quote my figures when Jesus does come back one day and say, hey, but that Mac with with his uh, podcast, he said that uh, these uh, are the numbers of people going to. And I see it's different now. Okay, is it? Let's ask the first question. Is it few or is it many? If you go read Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, where Jesus speaks, he says there are two roads. I call it the gravel to glory and the highway to hell. And basically, Jesus say the the road to eternal life is narrow and the gate small, and there's only a few people that go through it. Okay. And that text seems to say that it's going to be a minority. It's just going to be a few people that's going to make it. Um, Is that true? Or are we possibly misunderstanding the text? Well, let's talk about a few other things. First of all, let's start with the world religions. John 14 verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is Jesus speaking. Okay, he's saying there's a creator God. He's my Father. Nobody can get to him except if they go through me. Acts 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What is that name? That name is Jesus Christ. Now many people, so, sorry, just what Jesus is saying there, it's only through my name that people can be saved. Now many people would say that we worship the same God, that everybody worships the same God. The Muslims, the Hindus, uh, everybody. We worship the same creator God. And so all religions are basically right. We just have different roads to God. Well, you know, that might be true. You know, there, there might be people out there that are really making sacrifices and worshiping and praying to the one and only God that is in, in the heavens. OK, the problem is that there's only one person through whom we can actually get to that god properly so you can pray you can make sacrifices you can give him a different name and you can try to connect with him there's no way of getting to him except through jesus and the other faiths they don't believe in jesus although they might worship the father we can therefore exclude everybody who doesn't believe in jesus if we take the words of jesus himself seriously now that leaves us with 29 percent of the world population so, so so far less than a third of the world seems to be in less than a third of the world's population seems to be going to survive the great return of jesus and the judgment day 29% okay now let's talk about those people who are within christianity how many people within christianity are real disciples of jesus 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says only those who obey the gospel and know God will make it. Those are the two requirements. Let's talk briefly about obeying the gospel. What does that mean? Well, once again, we can only go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 to 4 tells us that the gospel is the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that text in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says that it needs to be obeyed. Well, how do we obey that? Well, once again, go read what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 11. Paul says that you do it through repentance and through baptism and through living a new life. And some people call that being born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 3, I tell you the truth that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, here's the question. How many Christians actually do that? How many Christians and how many churches actually believe that you need to be born again? In my experience, maybe 10% of churches actually baptize people and teach the gospel. Now, I don't have to have the time to go into false gospels, but let me make it clear that most people who say they believe in Jesus don't actually do what he says. There's a profound text. I just want to read to you quickly in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 this is Jesus speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What? Not everybody who goes and praises on a Sunday, Jesus, Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not about whether you praise him. The question is whether you do what he says, right? Many will say to me in verse 22, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. And that word, I never knew you, that word there is it's really a connotation of intimacy. And Jesus is saying, you were never intimate with me. You never had a relationship with me. It's the same thing as Paul writes in Thessalonians when he says that you need to know God. And so we see in these two texts, for example, that only those who actually have a relationship with God will be invited to the party. We'll be invited to spend eternity with them. It's the same thing with your house. Right? You invite people to come stay with you for a year, for 10 years, for 40 years. If you've got a relationship with them. The deciding factor is whether you have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about the church that you go to. It's not about how many times you pray. It's not about how much money you give. It's about Relationship. I want to read you just another scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, let me just wrap this up quickly. Who is Jesus coming for? He's coming for those who are waiting for him. Those who think about it, those who are preparing for it, and those who want Him to come. The people who are waiting for Him. Who is He coming back for? He's coming back for those who've got a relationship with Him. How many people in Christianity has got that relationship? I cannot make that judgment. I think very few. Way below 29%. And another way that we can evaluate that is that how many Christians out there are actually making disciples? Because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And if people are not fishing for men, then it means that they're not following Jesus. And if they're not following Jesus, then they don't have a relationship with him. I think Jesus might just be quite accurate. I think the Son of God is quite accurate when he says that the gate is narrow and the road is, is narrow as well. That leads to life. According to the Bible, few people will spend eternity with God. Because few people have a relationship with God. Some people are playing church. Some people are playing religion. But very few people actually have a relationship with God. Now, to be honest with you, I don't like it. I don't like it. I wish it was different. But God has given people free will. He says, you can have a relationship with me or not. I display on the cross how I feel about you. That's my love. You want to know how I feel about you? Here it is. You know, there used to be a saying on, on, in our bathroom, on the side of the bath that said, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it is yours. If it doesn't, it never was. God has done that. He has shown the world His love. Okay? He has set it free. If we return that love and we say, Lord, we want to know you more. Great. If we don't, God accepts that and He understands that. The majority of the human race so far. Has chosen to not spend eternity with God. That's what it seems like. And we should respect their wishes as God does. So once again, sorry for not giving you a number. It's not 144,000. It's very difficult to say what the number is. But I think Jesus himself is still correct. The number is few. And if you think that revelation is going to give you an exact number. You're also making a mistake. Let's conclude. This topic shouldn't scare us. It should excite us. On the judgment, we get to tell God about all the things that we enjoyed in this life. We get to talk to God face to face. That is exciting. Don't be bogged down by the when and the who. Just get ready for His return. Enjoy every day and everything that He has given you. Enjoy the people in your life, your wife, your husband, your children. Enjoy them. Food, the taste of of food, enjoy it. Work hard at everything that you can do now. Work hard at it. Enjoy the earth. It won't be here forever. And you won't be here forever. Jesus returns for you when you die. And that could happen before Jesus actually returns To fetch the saints. You might die tomorrow and meet Jesus. Don't be scared of the judgment. Just get yourself at peace with God. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to give us peace with God. God doesn't need you to be perfect. He wants you to accept his son who is perfect. That's it. Because when you accept his son in his eyes then you are perfect.